Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 20 of the HO Racing Today podcast with me, Chase Ellis, and my co-host, Adam Moneypenny, your home for all news and things HO Racing. Uh, Adam is off this week, and I'd like to welcome again our uh, our guest co-host and Nick Kahn this week. Uh, It's really nice to have you back, man. Thanks. It's good to be back, man. (laughs) And today we'd like to welcome back actually someone that's making a second appearance on the podcast, Terry Flynn of Harden Creek Slot Cars. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, Terry. Thank you. I guess I guess I'm a a special person, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, you're the first double two months. Yeah, double guests, multiple months since. I know there was a pretty popular feedback on your episode that a lot of a few people wanted to hear a more technical in depth on a status of lifelike racing, which if you, uh, someone listening doesn't know, uh, Terry is the owner. Uh, he actually purchased the assets of lifelike from Walters and also owns the, the name to Tyco, the Tyco slot car line. So, uh, a lot of people wanted to hear the technical aspect to that. So, uh, I wanted to get started. Uh, how's it been for Harden Creek lately? I know the pandemic has been kind of hard on some companies. So, uh, uh how's it been? Well, actually the, uh, first, five months of the year and in fact starting in March, March was an absolute record month ever. Okay, mm-hmm. for both the website and eBay. It just it, it absolutely floored me how much business I did. As soon as everybody got sequestered, I mean the, the orders started popping in. I mean it was mm-hmm. just, I mean, in one day I had like three orders in one day for like 80 clear Lexan bodies. So like these three guys they <laughs> must have been in their basements, you know, and it's like, okay, I got plenty of time. I'm going to paint lots of bodies. I mean, 80, I've never sold, I don't think 80 clear bodies in a month. And in one day I sell 80 clear Lexan bodies. It's wow. crazy. Not that that's a lot of money, but it's just wow. like that. That's it just spoke to what people were doing or what they were thinking. So mm-hmm. yeah, I it, mean, there was a lot of little, I mean, a, it just piles and piles of orders, but not not many finished cars, just lots of little parts. I mean, you could tell by what they were ordering. You know, they're going through their box and their shoes and springs and gears and tires and, you know, whatever else that they're doing. So that they're bored and they're, they're fixing their fleet up. So mm. yeah. it was uh, – so the first five months of the year were, were absolute record months uh, all total. Um, now here – that we're in the summer, of course, things always fall off in the summer. It's probably back down to a normal, you know, what I would consider a summer level right now. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Cause I know like, uh, that was something I was doing, right? Like, wait, you know, you're at home, uh, you're like, man, uh, I need a lot of parts for my cars or you're just get tinkering cause you're bored yep. and you realize what you need. And, uh, yep. I mean, I know, uh, I'm, yep. I'm, slightly off topic but i'm into like the retro gaming community of like buying older game systems and stuff like that man prices skyrocketed as soon as quarantine started because people were just buying out the wazoo so i'm sure it was the same thing it 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 happened and a lot of people call me you know i can't go out boss i'm sitting around and so yeah so if a couple people tell you that and then these orders are off the chart okay that's what people are doing so yeah 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 uh so on that subject i know uh might be, I know, any new news on Lifelike or Tyco Racing in a sense? Um, well, I had, within the, you know, we'll talk about the, the tooling here in a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. there were, you know, there were a number of uh, bodies in the uh, in the tooling uh, asset list that uh, were, I consider, interesting. There's some that are kind of dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
a couple years ago, I popped out seven bodies. There was another couple of three that I didn't do because it's like, man, eh, okay, and that's, you know, you, 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 you just you look at how much money you got to work with and you got to make a choice. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like, all right, these other three or four, I'll just wait and see how this first round does. Well, they've done pretty good, so I decided maybe this year I'd get those other three or four moles up and, and run those, and that's really what we're in the in the process of doing now. So awesome. they're they're you don't exactly know what they're doing, but it the the emails that I've been getting from the factory, they're probably in the process. They probably molded everything, and then they got to decorate them and mm -hmm. one thing and another. So. Yeah. Uh, I think we've got four bodies coming in. Actually, one of them will be the uh, the NDF one body. I think last time I just did it in standard white, but this time I'm going to do them in four colors with some decorations and nice. You know, That's make awesome. that special yeah. one because those actually sold pretty good. The only issue with those bodies, the only issue, which is actually a big one, is they only fit an M chassis. They won't even fit on a T chassis. Mm. Okay, so it'll be an M M car only body. So it's a bit of a gamble, but we'll see we'll see how well they do. Um, there's another couple of stockers that I think I'll do, and then I'm going to bring out the uh, uh, what was that thing? The outlaw car. That's nice. that's going to be just molded in color as a kit for you know the hobbyist to finish off. So mm -hmm. I mean, you'll get you know white, blue. Uh, yellow or red it won't be any decorations or anything just molded solid colors and they can put them together themselves and the price will you know reflect that but it's like mm. okay i always liked it it's kind of interesting but i can't see spending the full amount of money it takes to get those things decorated and put together I mean, there's it's just terrible once you start adding color and decals and all that the price just starts yeah. doubling and tripling really oh, yeah. really quick yeah. so like, all right, we'll try the kits, see how that works, you know, go from there. So, so that's in the hopper uh, for life like this year. Uh, Tyco really, it's, you know, in name only. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. You know, perhaps, you know, we could segue that into uh, Super 7. Uh, yep. You know, you, you had, you'd ask about that and just basically for the people that don't understand or haven't heard about that. Uh, it's kind of a mashup between a Tomy Super G Plus chassis and a Tomy SRT. Hmm. Um, from the outside of the chassis, the, the dimensions on the outside will be like Super G Plus dimensions, um, but it will actually take a CAN motor assembly like an SRT, hmm. which will uh, greatly reduce assembly time on it because now I don't have to, you know, get an end bell and stick a motor in an end bell and then, mm -hmm. you know, magnets and, you know, okay, I got to put a bushing in there now and then cram all that in the car where you just basically get a motor and you just stick it in the car, put the pinion on and, and you go. So that's essentially the, the idea behind that. Um, but to make that thing work, the standard Tomy can motor had to be modified. So that's been the mm -hmm. biggest um, roadblock is getting that motor designed the way I wanted it to where mm. the magnets have steps in them like Super G Plus magnets to allow our clip system to work on that chassis. That's the whole idea behind that is you have this relatively easy to assemble car that takes these standard Tomy clips uh, or, our, you know, our lifelike clip or the uh, Tyco 440 clip 
and allows you to run hard body so it's first and foremost you know kind of a hard body uh, chassis is is the whole idea behind it mm-hmm. uh, not not a you know a high end performance uh, Lexan chassis like the Viper started out to be mm-hmm. so the getting the motor done has been the really big issue and it's taken about two years and uh, it I guess the guys in China decided they wanted to you know get off their butt and do something and get some business and mm-hmm. so they got busy and you know got back on the horse so to speak and, and actually I've gotten some pre-production samples that I approved so the motor is approved nice. um, I have That's awesome wired them any money for production yet but at least the uh you know the pre-production samples looked good so that's that's the uh that's the next thing is to get that and then once those are physically in hand then you know maybe i can start working on the chassis it's the way the world is i am not going to start on the chassis and then something blow (laughs) up and i can't get the motors that's just it's just Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that's just you know dumb luck so you, mm-hmm. that's that's been the whole problem, getting this project off the ground. Is there's so many little key pieces that you have to have this before you can move to the next thing, before you can move to the next thing. Um, you know, Viper wasn't quite like that. We just swung for the fence and connected with a home run. We got we got blessed on that one. Mm-hmm. But um, this here is a little more. Uh, it's actually simpler, but it's turned out to be harder in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, that has possibilities. We'll just have to kind of see what happens here in six months. Mm. Um, and, and, and the reason why I wanted to segue into that is, okay, that chassis could be marketed under either the Lifelike or the Tyco brand at this point. So I haven't made that decision. I mean, I've kind of started leaning towards maybe, you know, slapping the Tyco name on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's actually what I was about to ask. Is I was going to ask, uh, were, were you leaning towards, you know, if you could have disclosed that, which you have, uh, if you were leaning towards putting that under Tyco or Lifelike? I mean, both are such um, we're such gargantuan players in the industry that I think it's really really exciting to have um, news of a even a potential new product for for mm-hmm. either of them. That's just really exciting, um, yeah. and uh, so. A, thank you for that. And um, something I, I wanted to talk about, I know I, I briefly brought this up in like our, our pre-show, was that, um, you know, a couple of years ago, you, you ran a Kickstarter, which was a pretty successful Kickstarter. Correct. Um, yeah. And um, on that, you had pr- uh, 3D printed uh, prototype uh, pictures of, of, a, of a new car. Is that kind of an earlier iteration of yeah, uh, one what of is first, now the Super yeah, 7? The first, yeah, the first ones. I mean, there's been a couple of things that have been done to it. Nothing dramatic. Um, yeah. Primarily the uh, uh, the uh, the magnet clip was modified a little bit, and then we added a third uh, wheelbase out front that's obviously farther. You get a 1.7-inch mm-hmm. wheelbase, and then it's up a little bit, so then you could use larger uh front hubs with the whole idea gotcha. being if auto world ever you know ever released any more super three bodies or whatever you could do a clip and mm. run auto world super three bodies on it uh, yep but that's yeah. that's another discussion we won't chase that rabbit mm-hmm. right now yeah um, i mean but not i mean auto world so, that's probably 
that's probably the best bodies to put on a car, to be honest with you, because Auto yeah, World I mean, doesn't. Yeah, the bodies are good enough, but uh, you know, like I say, their chassis are another discussion. We'll come to the table. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Good. I mean, yeah. we'll go down not, a rabbit hole and not ever they come. They don't out. seem too bad because I've I've actually seen a few of your YouTube review videos, especially recently on that NASCAR Auto World Super Three set that you had. Um, mm-hmm. actually, it wasn't too bad. Uh, just yeah. Super Threes thing with them is that they just need they need a little bit more attention to get going a lot. yeah a so, lot of attention yeah but, so we'll, we'll we'll just kind of let that one lie there for now so that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's good to hear that the super seven is really gaining traction that's really really good news yeah, that's really that's confident. a very good that's a very good uh, uh statement is gaining traction yeah. yes <laughs> so we'll see yeah, right. you know it's it's you know, six months ago, it was just a dark hole. So there's some yeah. light in it. Now, so. Yeah, that's that's amazing to hear, even if it's just a little bit. You know, I, I know you're uh, I, I it is baby steps, as you're saying. But, you know, I got to give you big props for making even even baby steps where there were none before. That's just simply amazing. So thank mm. you for that. Yeah. Now, yeah. to further kind of not complicate this situation, but it. It initially it did for me, and uh, the guys over in England, they've released this information, so it's, this is not anything new. They have this thing called the BDR chassis, Bulldog Racing, which mm-hmm. is basically their uh, interpretation of uh, Tomy Turbo, Tomy SRT. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They really like that chassis over there. It has a lot of history. Um, the types of tracks that they run, they're very large. They're very open. They're mm-hmm. not... They're not like a 4 by 16 with a lot of complication in them, so the, the, the cars mm-hmm. don't need a lot of downforce. So they just love Tomy Turbo. You know, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, we look at that chassis and like, gosh, it doesn't stick well enough, and whatever, mm-hmm. but they love it. So, um, you know, because those chassis haven't been around, and uh, they decided to repop that. And um, so the motor that I'm working on for Super 7 could very well, you know, obviously fit into this. In fact, I have had some pre-production sample chassis from them and they have put my pre-production motors in them and i'm going to tell you what it is absolutely an awesome chassis mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. um it uh you know i've worked with them a little bit um they were uh, supposed to have released that probably in february but there was there was some hidden issues mm-hmm. uh, in the engineering that had to be rectified so and then of course china hit and all that mess and everything just you know just kind of wadded to a stop but they've worked through that um so we may get uh finished parts here pretty quick and that'll be that'll be a nice chassis um Mm -hmm. the thing that has to be solved for it though is it's basically an srt with the molded in clip will take a Tommy or an Auto World or Old Aurora body, something like that. So from a market standpoint, that's something that needs to be solved is, you know, getting some sort of new production bodies to stick on it. Yeah. Um, and because, I mean, yeah, there, there'll be a lot of people that have all kinds of legacy parts and they'll take the chassis and, you know, it's brand new, they'll stick it under their, their existing bodies or whatever. But from a marketing standpoint, it would be better, too, to also be able to say, hey, here's a complete roller ready to go with a body. So, um, I don't know if I'll be able to help them solve that. I thought about 
you know, maybe with some of those lifelike bodies, if we could change the collapsible core to uh, instead of a, uh, a lifelike uh, system inside of it, you know, to maybe a Tomy system, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, pick a number, five, six, seven thousand dollars probably to have just one mold modified to have that. Jeez. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's um, maybe an arduous process. I mean, they, they, you'd have to send over samples or whatever they'd have to model it um and then go from there so it's just mm-hmm. that's really at the end of the day if they want that to really take off they they've got to solve the issue this is my opinion yep. of having new readily available bodies um but if not people mm-hmm. be buying auto rolls auto roll extraction just throwing the chassis away and sticking the bodies on them so yeah that's a little expensive, but always an industry, man. You always got to appreciate the small victories in industry. It's where I yep. kind of my mind goes to, because uh, it's a very long and frustrating process. I know for yep. being in the manufacturer side of the uh, hobby because it's just mm-hmm. so much prototyping, design, and maybe you have to do it over again a couple of times because just just trying to find the correct, even the correct chassis material. Can be pretty yeah. good to be yeah. yeah, I mean, some of the some of the initial samples that we got from the BDR chassis, the material wasn't right for that. And, yeah, and it may not have for what they were doing. It may not have made any difference here. We're just you know we're shooting them old. What do you think? Um, mm-hmm. It was just you know whatever stuff they had laying around, they're throwing in it. But uh, they they did specify a really good material this time. And like I say, the pre-production samples and those are really really good. And mm-hmm. a couple of other mm-hmm. people have run them. Uh, here and they're just like, yeah, this thing's right. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see. We'll just see how that how that works out for them. But you know, one one thing I've learned in some of this is you you just can't assume that everybody will do their job right. Yep. Okay. You you mm-hmm. you just can't. And mm-hmm. if you do, you you end up with scrap metal. Yep. Unfortunately, I mean, there has to be, and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but um, there's some things you can just, you know, you get into the project, it's like, well, you know, maybe I just don't need to mention that or whatever. But as soon as your brain says that, mention it. You know, yep. that's just, you, you yep. have to discipline yourself just to do that um, and get all the questions answered and never assume that they know all of the, uh, all the items that you want to do. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean like you're saying like wherever wherever water can flow off the side it's gonna do it right unless mm-hmm. you plug it up right so right yeah mm-hmm. so. uh i'm gonna get on to the subject of lifelike racing when you acquired it sure i know you talk we in our uh pre or basically before we did this podcast i know you explained to me that you acquired a quiet where you were supposed to acquire a bit of the tooling, but you actually didn't receive, you probably received, it wasn't like 150 or some number. I can't remember how many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to set that up um, over on my Facebook page, I posted something here a while back. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was entitled Hornby paid, you know, half a million pounds in the Chinese supplier misery. Um, (laughs) And that's a link to uh, what, Hornby and the factory Sandican, which was bought out by Cater, the mess that Cater had caused them. So that sets up this problem. And then 
there's another uh, thing that I posted regarding the history of the owner of Lifelike and then the owner of this company called Sandican. And that's a yeah. really important thing for people to go back and read that, both those things, so they understand the backstory to what's going on. I mean, there was a lot of, especially when, when Lifelike was coming up and Sandican was coming up, the two owners of that, I mean, there was a lot of handshake stuff going on. Okay. Yeah. That they just didn't mm -hmm. need written contracts or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's here again, it's one of these things where, hey, everything's hunky dory, everything's going good. Why do we have to write all this stuff down and have records? I mean, it'll never go away. You know, everything is always going to be hunky dory all the time. You know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure that's what, what happened uh, with a lot of this stuff. And I think that was the discrepancy between, you know, a list of 84 tools that Walters gave me. Um, and then this other, there was some other paperwork in there that would indicate there's possibly up to 150 and you, you look in different places or whatever. And there's this, this gray area and you ask them about all this stuff and they just never give you a straight answer about these other things. Yeah. So I figured at that point, it's like, yeah, this is, this was probably going to be a problem, but the, Within the official list of 84, there was even issues there. For instance, yep. one of the items was the T chassis. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, it's right mm -hmm. there. It says that. Right. So it comes mm -hmm. time to get that tooling transferred from Cater. Right. They didn't give that to me. Yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm like, hey, it, it's on the list. They did, they just didn't give it to me. And and yeah. you and this is the problem. You write them back and forth. And the uh, the answer is you have all your tools. But what about you have all your tools? No, 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 no. What about the other? No, no. You have all your tools. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. They will neither confirm nor deny anything. Yep. And I mean, I for all we know, for all we know, it could be sifted into the dirt beneath that factory where it came yeah, from. You, you don't know. I mean, you don't know what's going on. I mean, those. Those moles have a large uh, uh, fixture that the inserts, which actually, you know, uh, hold the uh, the shape of the of the of the item, the inserts can be pulled out of those things. So the, the mold mm -hmm. cavities could be reused or whatever. And who knows? At some point in time, with the way this stuff is, is like you know, they, maybe they need a mold cavity, so they yank the, the the cores out and then reuse that, and then those cores, you know, just don't have a home no more, and they get you know rusted and whatever else and then somebody mm -hmm. comes along and hey, what's this pile of crap and eh, i throw it in the scrap heap i mean you, you just mm -hmm. never know um, nope. yeah and then uh like one of the things i remember specifically asking and they had they did have some pages that showed that they had available to them the Porsche 911 and the 240Z body, okay? Ooh. Although those bodies weren't on the list of 84, you know, they were on another list of tooling that was available. And I was like, okay, what's, you know, how does all this work? But came down to transfer, and I asked them specifically about these two things, and they, they just kind of looked at me like, what's this about? You know, they never mm -hmm. answered yes or no on that question. Yep. And then, of course, the factory never answered anything on it either. So, you know, who knows? But that tooling dates all the way back to the days of Cox. Wow. When, when Cox was in the uh, the HO world. Um, mm -hmm. And for anybody that wants to understand that, there's a thing called the Collector's Guide to HO Slot Cars, 10 Distinct Brands, 1977 to 2010. 
Huh. And like the first item in it is Cox. Huh. And, you know, of course, anybody can study the history of Cox as a toy company, but they did do HO, which was actually all of the, the, the three bodies that they did were actually existing in their, I think, their 132nd line, and they were just reduced down. Wow. Pan panographed them down to uh, HO scales. So evidently, Sandican was doing the work back then in the uh, in the mid-70s. So that's how far back that tooling goes. So mm -hmm. there could have been a number of problems at some point. Maybe they just, like, here again, the stuff was wore out, rusted, you know, who, who knows what. And it just got lost to time. Yeah, which is kind of unfortunate, but it's kind of what you have to deal with now because most of manufacturing with toys is China. They've pretty much been a fixture in that for over 20 years. And it's just really unfortunate, to be honest with you, to lose some of that tooling. But uh, other than that, uh, is there any important tooling that you managed to get? Uh not really. That's that's the problem. I mean, to mm -hmm. me, important tooling. I mean, Walther's paid for and had developed, for instance, the race train crossing. Okay, right. That's I could have sold those things just piles of. They didn't transfer yep. that tool. Um, <sighs> the intersection track, the cross piece to make a you know a demolition derby track. That little X piece. Yep. Didn't mm -hmm. Get that right. Uh, mm -hmm. Another thing that would have sold easy, they had a they had a really neat set of adapters that would that would adapt lifelike to Tyco, to, to Tomy. They had all that. They yep. didn't get that, right? Yeah, it's all like, the important stuff. Yeah, the the important stuff. Um, none of the car tomorrow uh, tooling was there. The mm -hmm. uh, um, the Glomad, which was the '57 Chevy Nomad, that. Walters, but here again, paid for that development of that body. Didn't get that. There's a mm -hmm. lot of the, yeah, the really interesting stuff. Didn't get it. Oh, right. God. Uh, the 15 inch straight piece track. Okay, 15 inch just standard. Didn't get that. Got nine inch straight. Got nine inch turns. Got the wiggle Great piece. Kid. Oh boy. And the crossover piece. Oh, that's important. And uh, I think maybe the nine-inch bank turns, but didn't get the twelve-inch bank turn tooling. <sighs> yeah, so there, there was all these different disconnects or whatever. And here again, you you lay all this stuff out and you write over. Hey, what about all this stuff? You have all your tools. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that really sucks. And I know we talked before this and how much time it takes. Even with uh, it takes so much time to redesign if you were to ever redesign them it would take forever yeah. and so much time goes into those uh just using autocad especially i mean i mean you could do it but it would take so much time yeah, to yeah. Do it. you know and the problem now with just track pieces is it's probably not economically viable right now to no. do, to try to redevelop any of those pieces because a boxed set a box has actually a very complicated product. If you see the spreadsheet, the internal spreadsheets that the mm. factory have on whatever on doing a boxed set, there's just, it's, you, you take a lot for granted. I mean, everything is counted, you know, down to the rubber band and twist ties. They, they, they leave nothing, nothing to chance. Yep. You know, they count, you know, each set, this particular set has, you know, four twist ties in it. This other set has 10. 
you know, or rubber bands or different, you know, all these little things. So, you know, they can essentially have a, you know, a work list that, that the, that the production people have to work off of. And they, you can't assume that they understand what has to be done. So everything has to be tallied and accounted for. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of unfortunate. And kind of recently, I mean, CNC tracks are really starting to take over the hobby. There's not, I mean, there's still plastic track, but there's not most of the at home hobbyists still have plastic track, but, there's not many commercial plastic tracks around, which is kind of unfortunate because if you really uh, get your hands dirty and get it right, you can make a really good uh, plastic track that's mm-hmm. racing. I mean, I actually plan to do that for my first track before I get a routed track. Just, it's just, it's a very plentiful option because there's. I mean, plenty I mean it, you know, plastic tracks can be can be interesting. I mean, you know, if your cars are set up properly and you yep. know you have some attention and yep. you you swap the bad pieces out and whatever you can you can get them to where they're they're interesting in fact a number of years ago there was a place up in orlando here called ken's classic slots and uh yeah. he uh he had a four by 16 plastic in in his uh place of business there and about once a month on saturday nights we'd, we'd gather up there and probably some of our most interesting and fun races were probably on that track mm-hmm. um, it would uh definitely challenge you on it because there wasn't every lane was just a little bit different it's not like a routed track where yeah okay this is the gutter lane and you got this tight inside over here or whatever but you would you always be fighting you know a high rail in the middle of the inside red on that kink on that particular yep. track. Yep. a lot yep. of times you forget about it or maybe if you're racing Tommy SRTs it didn't have a problem but then you get up to ceramic super stock and then you got a problem there so it was yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it would it was interesting so yeah other thing with plastic track too that's kind of a weakness to it is when you get up to those hopper classes they are fast they have metal guide pins and they actually i've seen it tend to take chunks actually kind of out of the track when they de-slot but a little bit of a minor problem it's just plastic it's a little bit more of a weaker material than yeah. cnc is even though certain cnc compounds tend to get get shipped with yeah. hopper classes but uh but it's a very underrated uh, track mm-hmm. system. I mean, plastic track, it's still around. It's not going away anytime soon. They made yep. so many pieces, especially of Tomy, mm-hmm. and Auto World is still producing that. With well, Auto World has, uh, I think, some new tooling for some yep. of their track pieces. So their stuff is really nice. Yeah, and I yeah. actually watched those reviews you did. I mean, they're really nice. They really printed it really nice, especially with the racing kits. Yep. And they snapped together well. You said you never really had with that NASCAR review with the uh, Dale Jr. and Jimmy Johnson Super Threes, but it it just it, the track went together well and it didn't come apart at any point. So far as the quality of a boxed set, not counting the chassis, that particular set was one of the best that I ever pulled apart. Yeah, put together. Oh, awesome. It's like I was really really impressed at, at how well they had done that. Yeah, yeah. I mean there. They're really coming to their own recently, especially with the Super 3. I know it's still way off in terms of speed, but they're they're making revisions to it. Uh, they're a little bit more tolerable now, even though they still need work. But uh, it's I've heard multiple different viewpoints on Auto World. I've heard uh, people get good chassis in regards to the Thunder Jets, and but I've also heard really bad experiences with them. Yeah. But their customer service is really good. 
from what I've heard. They send you replacements lickety split if you have a problem yeah. with one of the chassis. But I got to give them credit for their extraction too. Their extraction chassis are no joke. They're actually really good. Yeah, I, the the few that I've run, um, they seem to be they seem to be pretty fair in mm-hmm. that. Um, I think the four gear is a little hit and miss. I've had a lot of yeah. People, I field a lot of calls from people about you know what can be done about this. I'm like, well, buy five and you might get one that's halfway good. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you got to educate them. It's like you know nobody's making really much aftermarket parts. Nobody makes gear sets for the four gear. And just yep. you, know, you just have yep. to start picking and choosing, and that's how you, how you fix it. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much, but uh, it's that's pretty much all. I mean, there's not many aftermarket companies, especially. I know Nick's probably not really knowledgeable in the T-Jet field, but kind of what we're We were talking, or me and Terry were talking earlier, how it's kind of a shame. There's no, almost no aftermarket support, and the ones. I mean, I know Wizard recently released their WizJet, and Dash has been around for some time, but. The only one that's really reaching, I mean, that's brick and mortar still is Auto World, and you can barely find. You have to look for Auto World. It's only in yeah. Hobby Lobby, and I've only seen it once in Michaels before. Right. But they're way tucked at the back too, away from everything. Right. So. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. It's like what we talked about. Same thing with how kind of lifelike and Tygo got killed. Was they just. They were bought by bigger companies. I mean, Walters only bought Lifelike for the model railroad line, pretty much. Mm-hmm. That's what they specialized in. And the slot car division really, it it was abused, pretty much. It was put on indefinite standby because they didn't care about it. Right. And then Tyco was purchased by Mattel. And we all know what happened with that is Mattel toy giant, still a massive toy giant. And mm-hmm. that's slot car sales dwindled in the late 90s, early 2000s, especially in the inline field, even though T-Jets were in a sort of revival then, but it wasn't really too widespread. But mm-hmm. uh, That's pretty much what killed Lifelike and Tycos. They had stock that was not being sold. Yeah. Well, they didn't have they didn't have management that was behind them. Um, yeah. And it, I think a lot of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where market share goes down because people's tastes change and then okay, the following year you get less resources and, you know, and so it just kind of you know, slowly yep. dies. But yep. um, I think, you know, one of the questions you wanted to talk about, you know, what does the hobby need to do to get back to that level? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since we're talking about these kind of, you know, mass, manu- mass manufacturing and distribution, I don't know if it can ever get there. I mean, somebody has to take a risk. It has to see yep. a hidden market. But in order to get there, you have to have, obviously, mass marketing and then mass distribution and mass sellers. So will we ever get back to bricks and mortar sales like what was going on back then? I don't know. I mean, retail's taken a hit on all sides here the past six months. Retail's changed a lot. So, okay, so if electronic retailing is the new thing, all right, that's it. So how do we move forward with that well you know if you from your basic marketing classes there's you know two, two ways to get products through the system and that's either the push or the pull you know pushing is you know the manufacturer you know essentially pushing the stuff onto uh, you know retailers and 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 do point of sales things and whatever else but you also need you know uh, 
uh, you know, well, you go to the grocery store, for instance, and a lot of times you have end-aisle displays or whatever with special pricing. That's kind of yep. pushing it. You know, you yep. walk in, you don't know you need that jar of pickles, but dang <laughs> it, it's on the end-aisle and it's buy one, get one. Well, that's pushing it through the system. Mm-hmm. Now, pulling, I think, is better where the customer walks in and says, hey, what about this? I, I've, I've been looking for this. They've been exposed to advertising. And whatever the advertising did, it created a need, an unmet need. I, I, can't, I can't be happy. I can't live without this critter. i got to have it. Yep. Then that person demands it and then seeks out where to go get it. So uh-huh. it's, it's – and that's, that's where a company like Auto World or whatever that has some measure of sophistication – needs mm-hmm. to get out there and put a lot of mass marketing out there and create that pull. Okay. I mean, right now, I mean, unfortunately we have as people that are selling, that have to push it through. And at some point in time, you know, after the map price expires, you know, then you got to drop your drawers on the price and just dump it and get rid of it. Yep. And, and mm-hmm. push it out the door. See, rather than have people demand it. So that, that's, that's a whole nother discussion, but, that's what has to happen to fix to fix it. Yeah, you know, just get back, get back to common basic marketing. Yep. The push and pull strategy. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what how they did it back in the '60s. I mean, I've seen a few of the older Thunderjet commercials, and man, they are engaging. I mean, it's yes, like they are exactly. Part. You know, it, it, it here here's a kid watching TV. And he sees yep. this thing, and 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 his his juices just go off the chart. And mom, take me down to pennies. I gotta have this thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what pushed the T-Jet craze in the '60s, the slot car craze overall in the '60s, was basically those uh at those television marketing. I know, I know the rules have changed a lot on television marketing to kids, but that would be awesome if we could get something on I don't know like Nickelodeon or Disney Channel. And show how fun slot car racing really is. And just, it's like, step away from your devices for a minute or something. That's just right. how, like, just how entertaining and fun it is. I mean, I actually had my cousin try out slot cars, actually, not a, not not a day ago. 11 years old. And he, Fortnite, he's Fortnite crazy, video game crazy. But when I put him on a track with one of my cars, especially the inline classes, he was, he loved it. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Mm. What did I miss? Yeah, it, it's actually, it's not, it's not virtual. It's real. No, it's real. It's real. It's, it, yeah, it's not, not a virtual thing. And I, mm-hmm. I hear that quite a bit. Where, and I think there's just something innately in us, in certain people, that once you're exposed to it, then it's like, yeah, I want more of this. But that's yep. the whole. It's the racing the bug. Is, <laughs> yeah. is getting is getting enough exposure somehow. I mean. Do you do you collect one out of a hundred? I don't know. I don't know what mm-hmm. what the conversion rate is. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way you, you have to somehow get enough people exposed to it. I mean, back in the day, of course, you just went down to the slot car shop and you saw that and whatever. And then, okay, so then yep. that has left. Yeah. Right? So now, how do we how do we expose people to it directly? I don't I don't know the answer to that. But that's one mm-hmm. thing that has to happen. And just like you said, once a person is exposed to it then they're like yeah so uh-huh. 
yeah, yeah. solving that question is something that the you know the the big the big guys need to work on if they want to try to you know but i think sometimes you know these people they get up there and exactly and they're kind of lazy or whatever and it's like you know i don't want to work this hard you know mm-hmm. this is this is going to be a, this is going to be a you know pushing the the boulder up a hill i'm not sure i want to do that right now so yeah they, they just take yeah. the easy way out and just like well you know there's not much demand and you know mm-hmm. we'll try so okay it's, fine yeah the point i'm going to make is that the youth become it's just over the years, every generation of youth that comes along, like Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z, it becomes harder to market to them. You really got to find whatever platform that they are at, which is right now it's YouTube, it's Instagram, uh, it's TikTok, which I, oh God, I can't tell you how much I hate TikTok. But <laughs> you have to do anything to, I mean, it's just every generation changes where they're going in terms right. of marketing. And, uh, it's kind of a shame that the slot car population is more – it's still more in the baby boomers population, although a few exceptions. I, Especially with our club here in Ohio, we've reeled in a lot of uh, Gen X millennial guys, and just the problem is getting people to stick with it yeah. is one of the problems. But uh, I especially think it's kind of a robbery. I know me and Nick – have discussed it. I know. I think last episode that you were a guest on, episode 18, we discussed a Hopper documentary on mm-hmm. getting a professional documentary done, or getting Hopper, or just getting a Hopper YouTube channel started, and post yep. maybe old videos of races with commentary about mm-hmm. the history and just like what happened that race, anything notable happened mm-hmm. that race. Because I especially want to do some segments on the one class era of Hopper because it was pretty mm-hmm. much. Like it was one class, and it was like whoever won was the champion. Like a, yeah, a, it was a brass class essentially. Yeah. brass pants yep, stuff yep. back in the seventies. Yeah, it's a glorious year, and, and and for everyone who doesn't know, we actually did a few podcasts uh, revolving that, especially with Mark Rosenwinkel, Herb Hunson Senior, uh, Steve Medanic was a really good one as well. Definitely listen, give those a listen to really get an insight onto what those classes were because it really you had to drive them. I mean, it yeah. was no joke. And these guys pretty much innovated downforce what we have today. They were the innovators pretty much yep. then of what we have today. But I really think it's a robbery that it nothing like there's almost no Hopper YouTube channel. Actually there I don't think there is right now. Which Well, you know, here again and somebody has to in that organization has to go, you know, I need to sacrifice what I'm doing and then do this for the for the betterment of the hobby. I mean, yeah, I don't have time to do it. I mean, they, they can't look to the manufacturer to do it. They have to do it. Those end yep. users have to take ownership of the problem and do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I'm I've got my plate full. The sideboards are up and the food's falling off. You yep. know, Dan Cronin out at Viper, he's probably the same way. You know, yep. we don't need we don't need another project. So no. the, the guys in the Senate and all that and the participants yep. that have been in it. They need to say this is what we need to do, and yeah. make it happen. You know, yeah. just not wait for anybody else to. Well, okay, you guys are the somebody else. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Um, Roger, you know, Roger Percelli is one of my best friends, and him and I are working on proposals, at least talking on how to establish a bigger presence on new media. That way, we can bring in, you know, people that are Chase and I are. I think. Uh, maybe Phil LaQuatra as well, or like the only Gen Zs in the entirety of the Hope Brick community, Adam right? Penny, Adam Moneypenny as well, right, yes. also going to be making his debut, most likely. 
and yeah, and like we're we're the only like Gen Z, if you will, because I well I'm borderline yeah. millennial, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> me like, too. Man. Yeah, but we're 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 technically Gen Z, I think, and we're like the only ones. There's a couple other millennials in there, like um, you know, Matt Handy, Chris Rondanella come to mind. Yep. But um, oh yeah, Chris Rondo. <laughs> yeah, so it's like. But other than that, <laughs> it's mostly it's like, Gen X and Baby Boomers, pretty much. Yeah, with pretty opera. much. Gen, yeah. A lot of Gen X. Honestly, that's awesome. A lot of Gen X. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, and <laughs> so we we're uh, working on because uh, you know Roger is a senator. We're working on um, figuring that all out. <laughs> like, I can definitely help you guys with that regard. Again, I'm new to the inline scene, but I want to learn. And I want because yeah. I'm very fascinated with Hopper history because it it's almost 50 years old. It's going to be a big deal coming up this yep. 50th annual Nats. It's going to be a huge deal, and especially me and Mark Rosenwinkel have been talking a lot. Rosenwinkel was the first ever national director, and mm-hmm. uh, we both really want to make the 50th Nats special in some yeah. way. And just I know that media project it's going to be a task. I know I'm going to be working full-time, most likely, uh, finishing up my bachelor's degree, but I'd love to do that. I mean, just commentary over old races, anything. Just anything to get that new media direction out there. And once, pretty much with YouTube right now is the algorithm, pretty much. But, but yeah, a lot of things to do anyway. Yep. But... We're going to get back on subject here off that regard. That could be a whole nother episode. <laughs> that, that absolutely but, could be a whole nother episode. <laughs> which I will think about that. But uh, anyway, uh, Terry, I know the process of tooling can be kind of confusing to the casual audience mm-hmm. that are not engineers or not uh, education. Can you explain tooling to someone who really is and doesn't know about it? Well, I think the easiest thing is they just Google up injection molding and just watch a video. <laughs> injection molding there you go. Get, get an idea of what mm-hmm. has to happen but i mean essentially you know you have a steel cavity that opens like a clamshell uh, to eject a finished part it closes back up uh, machine heats back up injects molten plastic into this thing you know holds it for a period of time cools it down opens it up ejects the part you know rinse repeat sort of type of thing so mm-hmm. there, there's all kinds of different molding processes there's a one called blow molding that makes you know your you know drink bottles or whatever it literally just blows the plastic to the inside of a cavity um, to make you know bottles or whatever but injection molding is is basically a solid part Mm -hmm. so you have a a steel cavity that uh, you know fills up full of molten plastic till it cools Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's it's very expensive to get those that tooling steel worked out like that Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of it's kind of like you explained with the uh, Super 7. It's kind of like a yeah. get, I mean, I try something out. If it doesn't work, uh, start over pretty much. Yeah. It sums yeah. up tooling. But I kind of want to get on that because one of the recent tools that is coming into the industry is 3D printing. And it's really starting to gain traction over the years. I know it existed for a little bit in the early 2000s, but it was just so expensive. But now... There's printers or companies like Formlabs that are coming in with more reliable, cheaper printers. And uh, how is 3D printing becoming prevalent at Hard Creek if you use it anyway at all? Well, I mean, we used it for the uh, for the Viper project. That was 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. We used that to do proof of concept. That, mm-hmm. that really 
really proved quite a bit. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't start cutting steel until we had got those uh, 3D printed parts in and fit everything mm-hmm. into it and, and proved that the model worked. Yeah. And then based on that, then it's all right now. Now we cut steel. Uh, so that's that's really what it's good for. Um, I think there's still some. Well, obviously, there's probably a lot of room to go yet in that technology. But right now, um, the the issue is to to test fit. You have to have a certain resolution. I mean, you, you can't you can't do this on a MakerBot. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, no. and be able to figure out. I mean, because we know with these slot cars, I mean, you need to know within a thousandth of an inch. Yes. What's yep. going yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. Hole yep. sizes magnet fitment, all that sort of stuff. So you have to have a very high resolution. Unfortunately, that kind of material doesn't last very long. So you build this little car and yeah, it'll run around the track, but if you off it, you know, into the wall or whatever, you can crack that chassis, then you can crack the back off of it or whatever. And, you know, each one of those little chassis is about 50 bucks. Yeah. You know, just to test the theories. And so, and that's happened. I mean, there's there's many many hundreds of dollars in a in a box just sitting there, broken chassis. You know, testing testing different things. And that's but that's part of it. Yeah, that's um, part of it. So that's something I wanted to expand upon, if we could, on a, a slight tangent. Um, so obviously, you're talking about um, it. it for anyone who isn't super familiar with 3D printing, there's two main forms. Uh, there is FDM, which is fused deposition modeling, which is where it's the types you usually see videos of where like an extruder head goes down and extrudes molten plastic layer by layer, yeah. um, which that isn't really viable for creating very, very tiny products no. um, such as what we what we run. And then there's uh, SLA, which is stereolithography, right. that's, which that's is this type of parts. Um, I guess, SLA. Yeah, which is. Um, uh, laser cured uh, resin or mm-hmm. actually something that's become really prominent in the SLA field now is using an L uh, or excuse me, uh, an LED screen or an LCD screen rather. Uh, and then having below it a UV light and then basically curing layer by layer that way. It's significantly cheaper. It's actually driven the price of SLA printers down to for high quality ones in the $200 range. Oh yeah, um, I'm highest I've seen. Like, yeah, Form Labs is one of those stereography printers, but they recently yeah. came out with their Form Three model, which implements yeah. LFS, which is low. Pretty much, it's another version of stereography. It's just a fancy name. Yeah. But it's their printers are around five thousand, two thousand range. With the yeah. two thousand, the older model, but uh, pretty. They become. I, mean, I know it sounds like a lot, but it's very affordable to yeah. a company that's looking for a prototype printer. No, but I mean, well, there's it's, ones now like the AnyCubic Photon, which are $169 right oh, yeah. now for for a for a resin-based printer, which will print incredibly high-quality small parts. But what what I was gonna get to with um, my question, though, I took a very long way around. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, was um, do you think um, with the decreasing cost of printers, and I know that. Resin still isn't perfect, but it has made leaps and bounds in durability over the last several years. Um, do you see it as a possibility in the near future as being something for uh, small batch manufacturing of an end user product? 
For slot cars, no. Okay. All right. Just there's something about the process, the way it's built up in layers. You don't get the molecular density that you do out of injection molding. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Because th that's under heat and pressure. You're yeah. forcing all that stuff into that mold. Okay. The, I mean, I know, I know these other people that are working on things and you know they've done gears out of 3d printing mm -hmm. and whatever but it, you yep. can't get the resolution yeah that you that you get out of a finished injection molded part i mean it's okay to test fitment yeah okay it's okay for that and that's really about it and okay for somebody like me you know back in 2014 if we'd have bought a printer you know it, it'd be out of date right now Yes. It, yep. Now, if, if if I needed to use something heavily even once a week, okay, yeah, maybe there'd be one in the corner, but there's not even that need. So yeah. the, the few times out of the year or every other year that you need, certainly you just get the model and, you know, email it to whatever supplier you want. They print the stuff, you know, three days yep. later, Xbox shows up and you got your parts. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, the per piece price is a little costly, but that's it. You you pay for exactly what you get. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much all we got for today. Um, Nick, do you have any other questions? Um, no, I'm 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 pretty much good. Thank thank you again, yeah. Terry. Of course, it's always great talking to you. Okay. Very good. You have anything other to say, Terry? Anything, comments, questions? Not really. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I'm in the, for these projects we've talking about, I'm kind of in a holding pattern, just waiting for the next, you know, thing to happen. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's like watching paint dry sometimes to get to the yeah. next step. <laughs> and yeah. So, you know, you're throwing a lot of jello against the wall and, and, just seeing what sticks. So, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it, it, I feel like with some of these projects, kind of driven to do this, mainly because, well, what else is there to do? Yeah. <laughs> there, there's not a lot of data available sometimes to say, okay, if I spend this money, what's my return on investment? It, yeah. It, it's just not there. You just have to go on your gut. Like, okay, I think if I do this, it'll work. Yeah. It's it, is. And Viper was like that. I mean, Dan and I, we you know we talked a lot about it, and it's like we just got to swing for the fence, and it's yep. it's really worked out good for both of us mm -hmm. in that regard. And then because of those successes, it's I mean he's been able to take his business to a whole other level. I'm you know able to you know uh, look at other things like the Super Seven project and get involved with the people in England. Um, yeah. with, with bulldog chassis and, and whatever. So and there's there's some of that drivenness to do the next thing, you know. Just but you just have to go. Well, I'll spend the money. And we'll see if it pays off. And yeah, you know, it's so far so far. You know, the bank account isn't isn't negative. So that I, that's, that's my the whole thing is like okay. You know what? What what's water level in the bank account? And like you spend all this money, and then six months later, you know it's back up to water level again. I was like, okay, I guess it's all right. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> That's really as sophisticated as it is. So mm -hmm. manufacturing is a pretty. It can be very unforgiving of an environment for some companies, and just 
I mean, it's really fortunate that you're able to give us some insight uh, onto that yeah, environment yeah. and just how much of a process and fr- how much of a frustrating process it can be to develop something like a chassis. Well, it has to be exactly right. I mean, if you know yeah. what you what you're trying to shoot for, and the, if the samples you get aren't right, you have to be willing to walk away or do something different because if not, you'll pay even more money and then you'll have a pile of parts that you'll just have to take out in the backyard burn because they won't be able to be sold yep you have to be have to be willing to lose some if it doesn't work out and you know that's why the super seven thing has taken such a long time is is it was the dangest thing going into it it's like okay how hard i know what i need to do and the motor needs to be like this how hard can that be you know i mean we get people make make our you know motors for vipers like okay they they already make can motors it's like hey how hard could this be to get this thing modified and it was actually pretty hard because they didn't they didn't really grasp why i wanted to do this well why would you want to do this well Mm -hmm. in my mind it makes sense but you have all kinds of different you know barriers there to get them to understand what goes on and eventually i guess the light bulb went on and they decided to pick it up and move forward but i mean we burnt two years Mm-hmm. you know to get them to that point to where they wanted to actually yeah we can do this so yeah well thank you so much for your time uh, taking time of your day terry to talk with us and uh it's really great yeah. i mean, for, I mean always great always great having you on the podcast you know it's the second time first time we've had a repeat guest and always insightful we're very lucky and very very grateful uh, you well, I mean, talk. if you concoct up some kind of other excuse, you know, maybe it'll be a third time here later on in the year. But, <laughs> just, maybe, maybe you know, it's, like, okay, it's going to be rabbit chasing day, and we'll just, you know, chase all kinds of different things. Who knows what? But uh, maybe we'll scare Adam away again, you know, so I yeah. can, uh, so I can co-host again for the next oh. episode you're on. Uh, Adam's nice. Maybe we can. That'd be really cool if we have a four-person, uh, four-person podcast to yeah, get out. Might be the, that might be the next thing. So we just, you know, in, in maybe I'll. Maybe I'll be the, the guy asking the questions or something. Who knows what? But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, We're that, that'd be really good, actually, sometime. We'll yeah. figure it out. All right. All right. We'll talk to Very you later. Good. I enjoyed it, and I really thank you for the time and, you know, the, the interest. And, in, you know, anybody that, um, you know, has any more in-depth questions, they can just, you know, go to my Facebook page or whatever and ask a questionnaire or send me an email, and, you know, I'll be happy Definitely. to try to expand on it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, I'm going to put – uh, your Facebook and your, your website in the description. Great website, great source of information, all sorts of aftermarket parts for all sorts of cars. I mean, ranging from the Super G Plus all the way to the current Viper chassis. Uh, his website, Terry's website. And great we, we've actually we've, uh, added some uh, basic uh, parts for uh, pancake cars. Awesome. That has surprised awesome. the crap out of me. Yes. How much dur- during this pandemic, we can just chase this one little thing. Um, like AFX pickup shoes, pickup shoe springs. Ooh. I mean, just this is just common stuff. It's not hop up grade. It's it's absolute reproduction factory parts, and it has floored me the amount of them stupid parts that I sell. <laughs> and it's like there's like a whole other market out there for people mm-hmm. doing that. And it's like, hmm. Yep. Yep. So the whole pancake crowd, man. We are a force to kind of a force to be reckoned with. Yes, there. it wow. is. I mean, it's it's a bit of a sleeping giant. So, yeah. anyway, all right. All right. Always great talking, to you, Terry. Hope you have a nice evening. You too. Bye bye. Thank you, Terry. See ya. Wow, that was he never disappoints, man. He yeah. never yeah. disappoints. Yeah.
<laughs> I mean, it's it's always great to get some insight, especially when I had Pat Dennis on the show, and especially get an idea of what the manufacturing designing process is, and just uh, how I mean, that he said it right there. I mean, sometimes you have to leave stuff behind, which kind of sucks, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's kind of the uh, way it goes, pretty much in the industry. But uh, again, to everyone, check out. Here, I'm going to put Terry's website, Harden Creek, in the description. Check it out. All your aftermarket parts needs for various chassis. And I'm also going to put his Facebook page in there. Gives constant updates on things. And just really great products. Awesome products. And also catch, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, he does some really great reviews on Auto World and a Lifelike sets and some uh, really good technical videos. That's the other thing that I really wanted to mention. I forgot to mention. He has great insightful technical videos and all sorts of chassis mm. and can really help you in terms of getting into the hobby. But, um, but I kind of wanted to get into recent news. Uh, I, I know uh, it's been a while since we did a podcast, which again, sorry about that to you guys. Uh, full-time works kind of started for me, both me and Nick and yep. just, inst- and Adam, especially getting ready for school and this whole pandemic. And it's just been kind of crazy. And, I'm supposed to start fall semester on the 31st, which I know you're probably starting soon, yeah, right? 24th for me. Yeah, it's a week from tomorrow, actually. Oh, man. Yeah, best of luck to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're both in our sophomore years, so it's we know the struggle. with And, yeah. every, and to anyone out there that's college age, we understand the struggle. <laughs> you, do not, yeah. you do not want to go to school, and you're just like, oh, did I have to? And Yeah, I'm all in line for this semester. I don't know me about too, you. Man. Yeah. It kind of sucks. I yeah, wish. it does. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would go. I mean, I hate to sound selfish, but I'd go. Like, seriously. <laughs> if it takes me wearing a mask, I will go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but anyway, I wanted to give some recent news around the hobby that updates some things that uh, you guys may have missed. But uh, on the T-Jet side, uh, the Quarrel was going to take place uh, recently, actually, in, I believe, uh shoot I'm kind of blanking now in july and it ended up being canceled due to uh host mike block having been exposed to the coronavirus uh precautions he canceled the race which is a kind of unfortunate quarrels one of the biggest t-jet events in the country unfortunate that he had to cancel that and also recently the halloween havoc race big t-jet race takes place around halloween it was also canceled but uh Actually, recently, I don't know if you know this, Nick, but recently R.C. Lincoln has recently yep. announced on Facebook a Havoc makeup race, pretty much, of sorts, is going to take place at the Wizard headquarters in Bedford, Pennsylvania, on November yep. 6th and 7th. Uh, classes are going to include the Frey, E-Frey, and Ecor Nostalgia class. Uh, Frey is actually pretty similar to our mod T-Jets or super stock T-Jets, like people like to call them around the country. Very, very similar to that. Uh, E-Frey... I'm still trying to get some more information on that, but basically it's a kind of like a retro freight car, old style. Then the Echor Nostalgia actually inspired our Skinny Cup class here in central Ohio, but it's basically a taller front tire, and then it's a little bit skinnier tires and no brake on the controller, which, whew, let me tell you, like those are complicated. That's, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, oh it is. God. In Echor, there is no brakes. Like, you don't have any brakes. Not allowed to use it. Not even plug it no into brake. That's scary. That's scary. Oh, man. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't imagine. I can't yeah, imagine. oh, jeez, man. I mean, T-Jets, it's another different world, man. But currently, 26 racers are committed to the race. It's going to be a very star-studded event. Uh, Roger Porcelli's going. Charlie Narns is going. 
R.C. Lincoln hosting, he's going to be there. Michael Block and Sean Moulter are also going to be there. Some really great talent out there. Yeah, that's that's yeah, a lot of big names right there. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe I'll uh, start racing TJ and I'll go <laughs> out there and uh, make some noise. Actually, there you go, man. It, it's like that's the my 21st birthday that falls on. So uh, oh yeah, yeah. that'll be some partying <laughs> up. Oh yeah, I got the TJ will, party going. <laughs> we'll get you a few drinks in you, and we're just gonna go have you race TJ. <laughs> Roger posted some things recently. It's like, oh my God, I know TJ Fox now, and I'm like, man, welcome to the club. <laughs> but I know Rondo, Chris Rondella, uh, here in Ohio. He's he's an anti TJ guy. Uh, he gets pretty annoyed whenever TJ springs up. So it's kind of the joke. It's kind of inside joke we got going with him. Thought we like to joke to him about TJ, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I completely mispronounced your name again. Totally <laughs> okay. Canan. Like that. Yes. Right? Yes. You Jeez. got it. Canan. Man, that's the that's Midwestern guys being. <laughs> we have Dude, it's totally okay. <laughs> I think I've heard my name pronounced, my last name pronounced right on the first try, like a handful of times, especially like, like very few times. I mean, especially because being in the racing scene. It's incredibly mm. close to Kanan, like Tony Kanan. Yeah. My dad's name is Tom Kanan. Do you know how often that comparison yeah. is made? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, we got that race coming up. I am considering going. I'm not totally sure because practice day falls on a Friday, and I'll be in school by then. But I'll I'll see with online classes. Maybe I could do it, but. Only one of our guys from our Central Ohio Club is going up, Danny Reinhardt. Great guy. He actually won the past three weeks Magna Traction race, actually. Mm. But he's going up there, and I'm considering going up there because I want to prove myself, man. I mean, yeah. I haven't raced against some of those guys yet, and I really kind of want to race against those guys. Yeah, I mean, there a lot of those guys are inline racers that you're talking about, too. And <laughs> let me tell you, in that – in that space too there are forces to be reckoned with I, I expect oh yeah that. Uh, yeah it's right, yeah. like i'm planning we are i'm definitely planning on having a huge hopper preview episode yeah. before the maps because that's i really want to because there's a lot of storylines going into this year and i know yeah. this past year it was pushed this is what i'm going to reiterate it was actually the 46 annual nats are pushed back it's not going to be 47th it's going to be the 46th yep yep pretty much pushed back pretty much yep. all it was. Yep. And, but anyway, speaking of Hopper, I know there's been some uh, news lately regarding some rule proposals and park submissions were submitted by uh, actually July this year. Mm -hmm. And I know yep. you had some uh, things you can admit. I know there's some things that are classified that we cannot talk about, but yep. uh, what are some things that you can talk about? I got some uh, some insider knowledge, you know, uh, you know, perks of, of knowing a bunch of Senate reps, I guess. But uh, uh, some stuff that's been publicly stated, uh, the this is, I think, the only part approval that's been publicly stated. But I could be wrong about that. Um, the Viper ceramic motors and tractions, I believe that's gotten like leaked are are approved. Uh, so 
uh, I'm not the first to break this, so hopefully I don't get in trouble. But um, yeah, so uh, the Viper Ceramic Magnets, um, of course, club by club, they will vote on it. But being that they'll be legal at the Nats this coming year, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming most clubs will make them legal. Yeah. Um, Great thing about them is Ceramic Magnets have been really hard to get from uh, some of the manufacturers, particularly if you're trying to find ones to go in a G-style car. Um, but, uh, this really solves that issue, which is awesome. So we now have a couple manufacturers, um, with really, really readily available ceramic magnets. So they're going to be really cool. Um, in, uh, the different vein from, uh, proposals is that I know in the next year, uh, or not in the next year, excuse me, uh, like the next month here, we're going to see a lot of, um, the Hopra clubs, particularly in the Midwest, starting back up. Um, mm-hmm. I I know um, the Ohio Hopra club is going to be starting uh, in the next month here. I believe yep. that the club formerly known as Mice Car, what did you say their new uh, their new name is? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I know there's another state. Uh, there's another Central Ohio club that's founded called Tri-State Southern yeah. Hopra. Pretty much okay. involves uh, okay. Ohio. Pretty much Western Ohio, Dayton area, Western Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky is what yep. we pretty much find. Yep. And we're starting our first points uh, race. We actually had races last year, but they didn't count towards the points, kind of like uh, dipping our feet in races. Mm-hmm. But uh, we do mostly the brass racer and spec racer classes. But we're yep. going to be having our first race sometime in October um, with, with that, which we're really excited. I'm going to have probably Mo Mofield on here. Uh, that yeah. week for the first uh, race, huge deal. Yeah, and, and I'm also going to be racing with those northern guys in northern Ohio. And let me say, those guys, ooh, it's going to be some stiff competition when I go yeah. up there. They are yeah. serious about their yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I know um, we also have uh, out here because, uh, of course, I'm located on the east coast. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm a New Yorker fan. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ohio basically, here. we. Uh, uh, I know that the New England club, which mas- mostly is Massachusetts, Connecticut, and I want to say like New Hampshire are where all their races are. Um, they are going to be uh, starting pretty soon here. I think they're going to have a little bit of a delayed start. I don't think it's in the next month, but I could be wrong about that. Um with the uh, club that's located down south in Virginia, I honestly have no idea. So I'm going to just <laughs> say uh, they they have a Facebook group, uh, Mascar, M-A-S-C-A-R. You could check them out. And yep. uh, as far as we go in uh, Mid-Atlanta Copra, which is mostly New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, um, yep. we are going to be... Um, Starting towards the end of October, we're going to be doing masks, socially distanced. So if you want to come on out, uh, we're trying to be very focused on keeping everybody safe, but at the same time, bringing back the racing that we all love and enjoy. So that's going to be out towards the end of October with about a race every month up until uh, uh, like May. And we're getting ready for the Nationals. So awesome. Yeah. And always welcome. We always welcome spectators too. Both of our clubs. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. Come out and see it. Yeah. I mean, it's very fun stuff to watch. I mean, that's. I mean, I know it's way far out of a dream, man. But man, if there were stands at the Hopper Nats, man, that, <laughs> that'd be awesome. That's way a lot of people do come dream. out every year to just watch. Yeah. It's really yeah, cool. We get a lot of we get a lot of locals of people who come in and they say, hey, I've never even been to a club race before, but I'm here to check out the Nats. So. 
it's definitely a, something really cool. So uh, it's very cool. Yeah, I'm excited to get racing again, of course. Want to do it in the right way, uh, in the safest possible way. But yeah, uh, so for us, end of October at Bob Zelino's house out in Ole, Pennsylvania is where the season is going to start. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really exciting. I know uh, Cohora, which we're mostly a T-Jet club, we, we have been resuming racing since probably start of May. Uh, we got back to racing our summer series. Uh, we have only a few races left in our season, which I'm actually going to go to our core recap of the week, which this week was actually an off week for us. Uh, it was an open date on our calendar. Nobody claimed it uh, this Saturday. So I'm going to go over uh, last week's race, which was uh, Magnatractions at Ron's Road Trip Raceway in Hilliard, Ohio. Uh, we actually haven't raced Magnatractions in a very long time, two years. And uh, it was it's it's kind of fun to re go on to a class that we haven't done in a while, but uh, <laughs> let me tell you, I liked, uh, I really liked Magna Tractions, but let me say, I just, I hated it. I couldn't get my car adjusted at all, and, <laughs> uh, and my main speedy car, my mean green car, man, I over-oiled it. And <laughs> oh, we all have those days, dude. We all have those days. <laughs> and, uh. I, I I didn't smoke it, thank God. I didn't Ooh. smoke it up. I caught it, and I'm just like, oh God, dang it. So mean green racing machine, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I had to I had to borrow a car and uh, finished fourth. Uh, de- congratulations, Denny Reinhardt, too, for winning last week. He has not won a race uh, since last year, and uh, really awesome for him to get a win at our club. And uh, so. Really awesome. We had seven people show up. Not very much, but uh, again, it's kind of a class we don't do very often, and uh, not many guys have decent magnet tractions. I mean, I thought I had decent magnet tractions, but apparently I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those cars are nuts, the things people do to those things. I've never raced them, but I just know <laughs> the things man, people do to magnet tractions are insane. If we, ra- if we race sometime, man, I'm having you try out multiple things that we race, especially those magnet tracks. The thing about them is it's just they're a pain to set up. And I yeah. love them, but they're just a pain. Yeah, they're- I've never been able to get into working on pancake cars. I love driving them. I mean, Team yeah. Jets, I've raced them at the Nationals a couple times, always with a borrowed yeah. car, but it's like ah. I, I have a fantastic time driving them, and I usually do pretty good, all things considered, but yeah. I just I can't get into working on them, dude. Ah. I just can't. <laughs> Especially with the Aurora chassis, man, it's it just takes a little bit to tweak. But I mean, I was gonna ask you about I know the with the vintage G Jet class, the recent product is the Wiz Jet, but I know it's probably a little bit more uh, classified right now in Hopra. But I mean, the yeah, it's gonna be approved. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I can't really. Honestly, I don't really re- – I think I remember if it got approved or not, but I can't, I'm not 100% sure. But yeah. um, I think the general consensus by the community is they're expecting it to be approved. I'm yeah. not saying what the Senate actually voted on or didn't. I'm just saying – I mean, it's getting, like, fast-tracked to be approved for, like, the fray and stuff like that, oh, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, I, I think that – um, we're on a similar level. I know it was submitted, but I can't remember which way the vote went. Okay. Um, but I'm 
I mean, the I, the likelihood, I can say this because I don't remember which way the vote went, but the likelihood mm-hmm. is, yeah, it's going to get approved. Yeah, that's kind of like the consensus here. Yeah. We're definitely going to be approving them after our summer series. We actually had a warm-up race or demonstration race with them. Yeah. And um, I actually yeah. won that race, but it's I nice. no complaint about the chassis. It's awesome. They know with all the prep work you have to do to create T-Jets, man, it's just it's crazy. You're going to have to – I mean, I know – Inlines can almost be, I mean, it's daunting to me. <laughs> yeah, I, some, it definitely, it can be. It can be. Especially the, the faster stuff. It's a lot more in-depth. I mean, like, super stock, there's so many tiny, tiny little tweaks to just eke that extra little bit of speed. But generally, just building a super stock without, like, going into the intensive little details is pretty easy. But if yep. you even, like, touch a Neo, like, you're getting into some stuff, you know? <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, hope I, I hope to have a super stock built by this fall. Like I said, I hope to part-time schedule with Northern Hopper guys. Can't wait to race them. And uh, well, that's pretty much all I got, man. Uh, it's been a really fun podcast talking to you. I really thank you a lot for being the emergency co-host on some of these, which I know was kind of last minute this time. I thought, <laughs> but I mean, I love having you on. Hey, man, I love doing it, and. Um... You know, happy to be a part of it. Um, it, it, I think it's a really amazing thing that you do with actually like getting a, you know, real presence on, you know, we something you and I talk about a lot is getting a presence on new media for slot cars. And I think this is um, a really big deal in getting there and having that at this podcast. And, you know, I, I appreciate that you do it and I'm ecstatic to be a part of it. So short notice or not, you know, just thank you for having me and inviting me to be your co-host. You're very welcome, man, and really looking towards the future. I know we talked earlier. We kind of got off track a little bit with the new media direction. It's <laughs> yeah. Very, it's a very exciting subject. Yes, and it is something I think we need to talk about more on podcast and off podcast a lot more extensively, <laughs> you and I. But definitely. I definitely think it'd be an awesome future episode. So, you know, just uh, yeah. whenever you want to have me back. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay in contact, and we can and definitely mean – Definitely some more uh, shenanigans because I mean you're the inline you're pretty much the inline analysis and I'm the T-Jet analysis pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, man, thanks for everyone for listening this week. Again, sorry for the extended hiatus. Uh, I hope to get back on a consistent uploading schedule. I know for the next few weeks I should be open, but um, great tons of great ideas down the funnel. Um, I've been really eager to share ideas with you guys and. Uh, I'm currently in contact right now with John Carcass, still waiting for an email back from him. He was the designer of the Tyco 440, which I credit to being a huge force in the hopper scene in the late 80s, early 90s. So waiting for a response back from him. I hope I get a response back from him because I know with how much great Pat Dennis was, I mean, I think John Carcass could be really great too. Mm-hmm. So, so thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Amid this pandemic, uh, we're all excited to go back to racing this fall, especially Hopper scene. And uh, mm-hmm. hope everyone's in happy racing. Yeah. Happy racing, everybody. See ya. <laughs>